If I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 30 through 35. Then after singing songs of praise, they went, down, went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Tonight you will all fall away because of me. This is because it is written, I will hit the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will go off in all directions. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter replied, If everyone else stumbles because of you, I'll never stumble. Jesus said to him, I assure you that before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. Peter said, Even if I must die alongside you, I won't deny you. All the disciples said the same thing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. And if I can invite you to turn your attention to the screen, we're going to watch a short video on the Mount of Olives. On the eastern side of the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem is a ridge known as the Mount of Olives. It parallels Jerusalem's old city, as well as the Temple Mount, and its history as it relates to the life of Jesus, and in fact, all of Israel, is more than noteworthy. Because it is thought to be the first place of resurrection, portions of the Mount of Olives have been used as a Jewish burial place for 3,000 years. It is estimated that more than 150,000 graves are here, featuring not only prophets from the Bible, but also ancient kings of Israel. David fled from his son Absalom across the Mount of Olives when Absalom attempted a coup against him. Solomon built high places for the false gods Kamosh and Molech on the Mount of Olives. Jesus was often found on the Mount of Olives and wept over Jerusalem here. Jesus began his triumphal entry into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Jesus foretold the destruction of the temple from the Mount of Olives. After the Last Supper, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives, to pray. He would be arrested here, and in short order, would be crucified. The prophet Zechariah tells us that one day, God's feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives, and it will be split in two, creating a great valley between. The Mount of Olives serves as a backdrop for all of Jerusalem's biblical history and is a constant landmark for those visiting the holy city. Its gorgeous views allow a visitor to step back and imagine the past and the future of Jerusalem. Good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning as we're continuing our Lenten sermon series where we are looking at the places of the Passion that we read about in the Gospels, mainly the Gospel of Matthew. These places of the Passion are in the land of Israel where the final events, the final days, the final things in Jesus' life and ministry occurred. And so last Sunday we began by looking at the small community of Bethany. As you can see on the map, the dot from Bethany. Bethany was a small town, roughly two miles from the city of Jerusalem. In the Gospels, there are two significant events that happened in, the, in this, this small community. 
The first is Bethany is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. And if you remember, Lazarus died. Uh, Mary and Martha sent messengers to Jesus uh, to come because Lazarus was ill. And, and, um, and so Jesus took his time. And then he got there and they said, you know, he's been in there four days. And he said, roll the stone of the tomb away. And he called Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus was resurrected from the dead. In last week's scripture, we read the second event that happens in the place of Bethany where Jesus and the disciples have gone to the home of a man that the scripture calls Simon the leper. There they were eating a meal with Simon when a woman named Mary, the gospel of John tells us, comes in. She pulls out an an alabaster jar of perfume and she pours the perfume over Jesus's head. While viewing this, the outrage from the disciples was significant, but Jesus told them something, that the value of what she had done is something that could not be measured. For Mary had anointed his head for burial She had anointed his head that he was signifying that he was now Christ the King. And she was doing things that he said would be spoken of forever. And so this morning we're taking a little different look. We're we're shifting our direction a little closer towards the city of Jerusalem as we are looking at the Mount of Olives. And so the video that we've watched provides a great overview, I think, of this place. And it's not one place like some of the other places that we read about in the scriptures and that we're going to look at in this sermon series. Because the Mount of Olives, as you can see from the map, is, is kind of that whole ridge. It's a whole mountain. So there's a lot of events that happen there. It has the, contains the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're also going to touch on it when we talk about some of these other sites and locations. But it is an important place because the Mount of Olives is the place by which Jesus traveled through this road or this path to come in and out of the city from the community of Bethany. And so the Mount of Olives, as we see, is on the eastern side of the old city of Jerusalem. If you look on the next slide, there's a map. Can you advance it, please? I'm sorry. Thanks. Oh, the illustrated one. I'm sorry. Can you go back, Robert? Yeah, that one. Um, So the old city, you can see there's kind of the walls and then that purple line that I drew, very high tech. Um, That's the Mount of Olives. And so you could see its proximity to, um, you know, the Temple Mount and then the walls and then all of the other places and all of the other events that occurred in Jesus's final days and his final hours. And so if you stand from the Mount of Olives, you can see the things like the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock, uh, the Golden Gate. You can see the Church of the Sepulchre in the distance. And if you look at the other direction, which I think is kind of crazy, and and this last time we went to the Israel, uh, the guide took us up there and actually had us look away away from Jerusalem. And so on one side you see this, and then on the other side you see this. And so on one side you see life, you see activity, you see things that are happening. And then if we have to think though in biblical times, you know, before there's there's all these other settlements that are here or communities. That in the other direction from the Mount of Olives, you saw very little. And so it was mountains, it was desert. It was land not conducive for farming. And then in the distance, if you kept going in that direction, would be the Dead Sea. In his book, The Land and the Book, I found this quote. This is a man named William Thompson who wrote this in 1923. And he wrote this passage about the Mount of Olives. 
He says, I was struck by the extreme contrast between the two views from the Mount of Olives. Facing eastward, my eye fell over leagues of hopeless desert, the wilderness of Judea ending in the Dead Sea. When I turned to the west, at my feet lay the holy city with its sacred sites, symbolic names, and precious memories, suggestive of peace with God and life eternal in Jerusalem on high. It seemed not accidental that the Creator had placed here upon this hill one view against the other. Look to the left, and nothing appears but evil and cursing all the way down to the bitter lake of Sodom. But on the right hand, you behold with delight the symbols of life, goodness, and blessing. This was a vivid reminder of the words of Moses to the Israelites, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live." And that's Deuteronomy 30, 19 that he quoted there. And so his quote, as you've seen from these pictures, is an appropriate one in pointing us to life and blessing and potential and opportunity while then looking the other way and seeing the exact opposite. So if you visit the Holy Land, one of the places you will visit and stand on top of is the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. It's from there that we get the great panoramic view of the old city. You can get the wonderful group photo with the golden dome in the background and the churches behind you. Uh, you can see everything. You can also take a short camel ride on top of the Mount of Olives. Then I'm pretty sure it's the same man who owns the camel. Well, I'm positive of that. But I'm also fairly certain it's the same camel that's been there since 2010 when I was there. Um, <laughs> But in biblical times, the Mount of Olives was known because it was, uh, had so many trees planted on it. It was an orchard. And so the, the, the tr all these, these hillsides were just planted with terrace upon terrace of olive trees. And so you have to picture Jesus and the disciples and other travelers as they would have come from places like Bethany, walking through olive groves as they entered the city of Jerusalem. On this mount is also a church where Jesus wept, the Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll look at that later. But today in our scripture, we've read from Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35. And so the portion of scripture that I think jumps out at us is the, the interaction between Jesus and the disciples. When, when Peter says, we're going to follow you till the end of the earth, I'm not going to abandon you, and Jesus says, you're going to... The rooster's going to go throw three times before you do, or after you, or before you do it. And Peter says, no, no. But see, verse 30 is something that jumps out at us. Because it says, Then after singing songs of praise, they went to the Mount of Olives. See, y'all, in these verses, Jesus and the disciples have left Bethany. They've already been to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Now they've sung songs of praise as they've returned from the city and they are going back to the Mount of Olives. In Matthew's gospel, after they've celebrated the Passover, 
after they have, so they've been in Bethany, they've gone into the city of Jerusalem, they've celebrated the Passover, they've come out, they're singing songs of praise, they're giving God thanks for everything that he's done, for his presence in the history of their people as the people of Israel. And so they're in the Mount of Olives, and, and Jesus in Matthew's gospel, this is where everything happens now. He's about to be betrayed. The events surrounding the, the end of his life are about to be set in motion. But what do we see him doing? He leads the disciples in singing. He leads the disciples in worship. And all of this is happening right before everything else that we know is about to happen is going to occur. See, the very reason that the incarnation, that, that Jesus came to walk amongst us is about to, to, to happen. And see, we know that Jesus knew what was going to happen. We know that Jesus had, had tried to tell the disciples what was going to occur. We know that his heart is heavy as he knows what, what is before him. But he doesn't um, bottle it up or do anything else. But he leads the disciples in singing praises to God. And so he sings to God. As all of them declare and remember God's glory and the way that he had delivered Israel from the slavery and from captivity. He leads the disciples in praising God as I think he himself knows what is about to happen. And in the ways that he is going to deliver the disciples and all of humanity from the captivity and the slavery to sin that we all suffer from. And so he would have sung words like Psalm 113 verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Or Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does everything he pleases. Psalm 116, the Lord has delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Or the one that we always read and think of when we think of the, the sending of, of Jesus Christ from Psalm 118, verses 22 through 24. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. See, think of where in Matthew this, this verse happens. The light of the world is fading the darkness of death is creeping in as, as the day, literally, the sunlight of day is falling into evening. Jesus is shortly headed to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will spend time in prayer with God and in preparation for what he knows is about to occur as he is beaten and spit upon and whipped before he's nailed to the cross. But what does he do? He leads the disciples in worship as he sings words to God and as he testifies to the power of God. He chooses to, to honor the deeds and actions of God. Jesus chooses to praise and to glorify God, even as he knows of what is about to come. See, and as he does this, he shows us something. Is that even as darkness comes, Jesus knows that the true response and the true demonstration of faith in God is for us as followers of God to worship Him. 
See, Jesus is leading the disciples in worshiping, even as he tells them, tonight all of you are going to fall down, fall away because of me. But he leads them in worship as he tells them, tonight this is going to happen. He's leading them in worship as he's saying I, that, that, that the shepherd will be hit, the sheep of the flock will go off in all directions. After I'm raised up, I'll go with you to Galilee. See, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's about to be abandoned by those who have pledged to follow him through and for anything. And instead of chastising them for the abandonment that he knows is about to occur, he points our eyes and theirs to the promise. To their promise. See, because he says, tonight you're all going to fall away from me. The shepherd is going to be hit. The sheep are going to scatter. But then he says this, but after I'm raised up, I'll go with you to Galilee. See, instead of chastising the disciples, instead of, of being frustrated or angry with them, he leads them in worship and then he tells them of the promise that is before them that he is not going to abandon them. He is not going to leave them alone. He is going to be with them. Even after the trial, even after the betrayal, even after the whipping and crucifixion and everything else that occurs, his ministry is going to continue and that's going to happen in Galilee. And so he promises the disciples that he will meet them there after the resurrection. See, friends, what Jesus is doing is reminding the disciples that the, it, the glory of power of God, it doesn't end. It doesn't end even when we view things in our lives or even when we view situations in our lives that, that we might perceive as ending. See, they don't end in God's eyes. And so even as we walk through the darkness, even as we walk through the things that don't necessarily lift us up and pull us down and drag us back, we are reminded that Christ has come so that we can have a new beginning. And so even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of hopelessness, even in the midst of despair, Jesus shows us and tells the disciples that the light he brings will break through the darkness and that he offers and gives us hope even when everything can seem hopeless. That God is there even when you and I might feel times and might feel like we, in, we are in places where there's despair. See, friends, as Jesus finished the Passover feast, and as he went with the disciples from the city of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, he knew everything that was going to happen, did he not? But what he chose to do is model means to live in true response to the goodness and glory of God in and through our lives and through all things. Is that even when we find ourselves in, in times of greatest challenge, in times of, of greatest hurt and pain, God calls us and invites us to worship him. That doesn't mean we have to sing just praises to him. We can cry out and be disgruntled or whatever you want to do. But see, Jesus shows us that even when we find ourselves in those places, that God's still there for us to worship him. God's still there for us to sing our praises to him, for us to lift our prayers to him, for us to bring our hurts and our pains and everything else in between. Because Christ has come so that we might have a new beginning.
so that the darkness, so that the hopelessness, so that the despair is not the final message that we hear and not the final word. But the final word is life, it's hope, and it's Jesus' promise that after the resurrection, I will meet you in Galilee. Amen.